0: Well, today we're going to be taking a look at the story of Esther. Esther is a very fun book in the Old Testament. Uh, kind of an interesting book. Comes from a very different time. Uh, and so you'll see some of that in the story. And I think it's important to realize that just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean the Bible prescribes something. Okay? Just because the Bible says something happened doesn't mean you should do it. Okay? Sometimes it's just portraying what happened. And... Um, It's from definitely a different time. In fact, there were people like Martin Luther that did not like the book of Esther, thought it should not even be in the Bible. And there are a lot of preachers that won't preach from Esther. But we're going to go through the story anyway. And uh, we've actually been a little bit using some of the words from the Festival of Purim, uh, which is a Jewish festival to celebrate this. There's often in, in Purim gifts of food and drink donations to charity, there's a celebration meal, sometimes special prayers and costumes and parties. It's really a very big national celebration for Israel. And part of what happens during the festival of Purim is you go to the temple at a certain time and the entire book of Esther is read out loud. Okay, you. You sit there for the whole thing. It's only about seven chapters. It would not take you very long. And I encourage you to read it start to finish sometime uh, this week. But there's a bad guy in the story and his name is Haman. Haman, and what you do at this festival of Purim, whenever the name Haman is said, the goal is to try to blot out the name Haman so that it's never heard and it's never said. So the children are given noisemakers and everybody boos whenever uh, Haman's name is said. Not afterwards, you got this? It's, it's, you're not supposed to be able to hear the name Haman. So. During the sermon here, there's going to be a number of times where I start to say Haman. And I'm going to give you a hint. I'm going to say the evil Haman. And when I say Haman, you've got to boo and try to make sure nobody hears me say Haman. Everybody got this? If anything, this is the one sermon nobody's sleeping through. Because if I see you sleep, I'm just going to say the evil and then everybody's going to boo around you. You're going to wake up. Okay? So kids, are you ready? Are you listening back there, everybody? Okay, because I need you, I need the kids to lead as we get a little bit childish here, the kids to lead us. So if I say, we ready to practice this? Everybody's awake? You gotta boo, you gotta make some noise just to blot out that name of the evil Haman. There we go, good. And it can be short, you don't have to boo for real long. Okay, you just gotta block out me saying the name of the evil Haman. Good, everybody's got it. Okay, we actually don't get to the name for a little while in the story, but. Uh, when we get there, we'll get excited again. Esther comes to us in a time that is very dark for Israel. Okay? They are in exile. What that means is that Israel has been, for the most part, carried off into other parts of an empire. First the Babylonians, then the Assyrians, and now that empire has been taken over by the Persians. Okay? So they've been in exile a long time. And you got to understand that that when you were brought into exile, you were a despised people. Okay? The goal was to treat you badly to make sure that you don't keep any kind of heritage and you fall in line with what the empire does. That's why they spread you out. Okay? So you lose your identity and you're hated because of it. Okay? You're hated until finally uh, um, you just become part of the empire. People don't even remember that you were something else. They want you to fall in line. You got that? They want your race, your ethnicity gone. Okay, that's, that's what's happening in exile. And Israel is in exile for a long time. And they've been abused. A lot of people were killed during the battles that, became, that led the people to exile. And so it's a very, very dark time. The hero of our story... Esther is being raised by Mordecai who is a relative of hers maybe a cousin or an uncle um, but, but he is taking care of her why? because her parents were killed either in the battles that, ca- that happened in Israel or perhaps they, she, they were abused okay? and when you were in exile you got to understand you, you were the low people you were the hated people so you had no protection okay? if somebody abused you you couldn't go tell the police first of all there's no police But second of all, even if you went to the authorities, you're the low people. It was okay to abuse you. You understand how tedious the position, how, how strenuous, how dangerous the position that Israel is in in exile. It is a miracle that they keep their identity and that they come back. And in fact, people like Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible have to do lots of work to try to teach Israel how to be Israel again. Because they almost lost it. By, by two or three generations, people don't even have Jewish names anymore. They have Babylonian and Persian names. So our story picks up with the king, Ahasuerus. It sounds actually Spanish, I think, but that's okay. And he's throwing a festival to celebrate his wealth and how great he is. And at the end of a multiple-day festival, he calls his queen, Queen Vas- Vashti, to come in and show off her beauty for his guests but she will not come in to the festival. This is a rejection not only of his command to come in, but also of all the guests. And everyone is uh, fearful that the negative example of Vashti who won't listen to her husband and won't listen to the king will spread and will be an example for all these women to not listen to their husbands or for, for people to not listen to their kings. Again, different time, different time. So the king calls, uh, the king kicks Vashti out, and she is no longer to be the queen anymore. And the king calls for virgins of the kingdom to go through the process of being cleaned and beautified so that potentially they could be his next wife. He starts a harem. That's what it was called in those days. Okay, you get the young ladies together, they spend a number of months uh, bathing in oil and being cleansed and learning how to relate to the king and learning how to be pretty and learning how to walk correctly and all of that. And then each woman, again, different time, each woman had a night with the king. And after he had had a night with all these different women, he would pick which one he really loved that would be his wife. Now Esther, this Jewish girl being raised by Mordecai, is chosen as one of these young women. And Mordecai tells her, do not tell anybody you're Jewish. Don't tell anybody you're Jewish. And so she is taken into this harem, and for months, she's part of this group of women preparing to have this one night with the king. Uh, And she is actually, because of her character, because of the relationships she can build, she finds a lot of favor in the group that runs this group of women. Actually, uh, it was a group of eunuchs. The theory was, if somebody was a eunuch, they couldn't do anything inappropriate to the ladies that were meant for the king. So she finds favor with these men, with this group. In the meantime, Mordecai is watching out for Esther. And he uh, is sitting at the gate, sort of where they would come out to go to the king's palace and they would go to different things. In that way, he's able to sort of keep an eye on Esther, make sure she's okay, make sure no one knows she's Jewish and all of that. It is here, sitting at the gate, that Mordecai hears two eunuchs that are angry with the king and planning to kill him. Mordecai tells Esther. Esther tells some of the other people in the community. And then uh, uh, the word gets to the king. And he is saved. The king finds it out. Searches this out. They arrest these two eunuchs. And the king is saved. And it's marked in the book of great things that happened in the king's lifetime that Mordecai did this for the king. Esther, in the meantime, has her night with the king and finds favor with the king and becomes the queen of of this Persian Empire. So now Esther, a Jew, is the queen of the Persian Empire. Mordecai has found favor with the king because he has rescued the king from this evil plot. Everybody with me so far? Okay, get ready because we're getting to the bad guy now. Okay, now after that, the king promoted a bad guy to run the kingdom underneath him. The evil Haman was gathering power. And people respected him and bowed to him as he traveled, down, uh, traveled around. And when he went past the gate, the evil Haman <laughs> noticed that in, a particular man would not bow to him or pay tribute to him or respect him in any way. Who do you think by the gate that man was? Mordecai. Mordecai's not going to bow to this guy. Okay, Mordecai is a man of God and he is not going to bow to a person. So this evil person started a plan to not just get Mordecai killed, but also all the Jews that are in exile wiped out. He tells the king, who he has his ear, that there are people in the empire that do not keep the king's laws and that the king should not allow them to live because they are going to be trouble for him. The evil Haman offered 10,000 talents to pay to the king's treasuries, kind of in exchange for killing all these Jews. Everybody got it? Not a good guy, lots of power. He's gonna wipe out, he's going to annihilate all the Jews in the kingdom. Okay? The king agrees to this. And a decree was made and sent out across the empire to annihilate the Jews on a certain date. Mordecai, being at the gate, hearing the rumors of the town, hears about this story. So he's sad. He puts on, he rips his clothing, puts on sackcloth and sits in ashes, this was a sign of regret, or remorse, or sadness, or despair. The idea was, if you felt that way, to look and feel that way. So you feel the itchiness, you look downtrodden, because that's how you feel. We do the exact opposite, by the way, right? When we feel bad, we dress up to try to look okay. Not so in the Bible. When you feel bad, you look bad and you let your outside reflect what your inside is feeling, and actually it helps you deal with it much differently. So let's pick up the story now from the text. In Esther chapter 4, verse 4. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that the evil Haman had promised to pay the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead for him on behalf of her people and Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called There is but one law to be put to death, except to one to whom the king holds out his golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Here's the great response. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king though it is against the law and if I perish I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. See Esther, here's the problem. She understands the danger therein, but she, but she got to understand for Esther. Okay, if she goes before the king and the king does not accept her in there, okay, does not welcome her in, she can be killed for going when she's not asked to go. And remember how we got here in the first place with his last wife being kicked out as queen, though not killed, for for not coming when she was supposed to come. You understand? This is a very sensitive issue, whether you come before the king or not and how you come before the king or not. And if everybody was really mad when Vashti wouldn't come, if the king allows Esther to come, it's going to really look like The women of his house are stepping up to him and not listening to him. So he's going to be probably forced to deal. It is very likely, Esther is assuming, that if she goes before the king, he's going to have to kill her. He's going to have to kill her. And yet, Mordecai encourages her. He had been her father for much of her life and had such wisdom. And he makes a couple of really important points. First, don't think that just because you're in the palace, you'll be spared When they find out who you are and what your nationality is, as they probably will, you're going to go too. Just because the problem is not real close to you right now doesn't mean the problem isn't going to be closer to you later. Second, you can hope that someone else will stand up and stop this slaughter, but if you stay silent, your family is going to get it. Your family is too close to this thing. There's nobody else in this area that's going to be able to stand up for the Jews. If you don't stand up, You're you're going to see your family hurt. And I think what Mordecai is trying to do in in a loving way is look out for Esther to say, you don't want that kind of regret. You don't want the kind of regret where you, you should have and you could have done something and you didn't, and people around you suffered because you did not step up. Third, I think Mordecai wonders if maybe she is in the position that she is in for such a time as this. Maybe God actually put her there. So Esther agrees. She calls a three-day period of fasting and prayer. Then she will go to the king. And if she perishes, she perishes. She's willing to take the risk on behalf of her people. Because if she doesn't take the risk, her people are going to die. And it's likely that eventually she's going to die too. Such an amazing moment of bravery for Esther. If you read the whole story then, it plays out so beautifully. And I... I'm not doing it justice and telling it quickly. You got to read it and see it unfold. But Esther goes before the king and she finds favor before him. And he does lift up his staff and let her come into his presence. And she asks, and he offers, Esther, what do you want? Anything you want, what do you want? And she asks for a banquet. She asks for a banquet, including herself, the king, and the evil Haman. Oh, okay. It was a little slow, everybody. And the evil Haman. Good. There we go. We're back. We're back. In the meantime, the evil Haman cannot stand that Mordecai will not bow to him. Okay? He can't stand this anymore. And so he decides, I and mean, he has a conversation with his wife, he's going to make sure that Mordecai dies, and he builds a gallows. Okay? He gets ready. He ties a noose so that he can hang Mordecai. And he thinks... You know what I'm going to do? At this banquet tomorrow, I found favor with the king. I found favor with the queen, apparently. He's going to offer me anything. And guess what I'm going to ask for? Okay, I've already asked for the Jews to be killed. Mordecai's days are already numbered. But I'm going to ask a special favor that I get to hang. Mordecai. You understand, when we call him evil, he's evil. But the night before this banquet, later that evening, the king cannot sleep. He's tossing and he's turning. You've had those nights, right? You're tossing, you're turning, you just can't. Something's bothering you, you don't even know what it is. And so the king has one of the eunuchs come in and read to him from that book of all the great things that have happened during his his kingship. And he reads and hears again the story of Mordecai saving his life by revealing this plot. And And he thinks, and he asks the eunuch, well, what have we done to honor Mordecai that saved my life? And the eunuch says, nothing. We've not done anything to honor Mordecai. So, in the morning, the evil Haman comes before the king. And the king asks him what should be done to the man who the king delights to honor. Okay? What should be done? What should I do to the person that I really want to honor? And the evil Haman assumes that it's who? Him, right? Of course it's me. I'm 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 the number one He's doing everything I ask. Of course, it's me. And so he has this great plot. You know what you should do? You should set royal robes on that person. Robes that you've worn. And you should put him on a horse that you've you've ridden. You should put a crown on his head. and You should have him travel around the city so that people have to bow to him. You got that? What's he mad about? He's mad Mordecai won't bow to him. But if he makes the king do this, right, and he gets to parade around him, Mordecai has to bow to him. Now he's got an excuse to hang him if he won't bow to him. Have we got him? It's a win-win, okay? Win-win. If he makes Mordecai bow to him, great, that's what he wanted. He wants to humble Mordecai. If Mordecai doesn't bow to him, I got him trapped. And then I've I've got a noose already ready for him, right? Perfect plan. Then the king says to him, Hurry, get Mordecai the Jew that sits by the gate and do all that you have suggested. <laughs> so the evil Haman, he has to be the one to go get Mordecai, to bring him in, to put the robe on and put him on the horse, put on and, and lead him around so that everybody's bowing to who? Mordecai. Mordecai. Then later at the feast that Esther had asked for Esther tells the king that her people have been sold. And the king asks, Who has done this? Who who has sold the people of, uh, who has purchased the people of the queen? And her answer, Well, the evil Haman has done that, right? The king gets angry. And he understands all the conniving that the evil Haman has done. And he hangs Haman on the noose that he had tied. Mordecai. And a new decree goes out. The day before all the Jews were supposed to be annihilated, that the Jews are to be saved. And the Jews are excited, right? They're pumped. And in fact, in all these cities, if there was anybody like the evil Haman, who was out to kill Jews, the Jews were permitted to kill them. And they killed 75,000 men who were out to annihilate them throughout the empire. Again, the Bible is describing, not prescribing, right? You don't get to go kill your enemies this afternoon. It's not how it works. Okay? The point is that the people were saved. And Mordecai ends up getting the position that the evil Haman had. So now, look what look what happened. Now, this wise Mordecai is helping to rule the Persian empire. And for years then, The Jews have some safety, some protection, and some care in this foreign place until finally they're able to come home. And every year in the spring, the Jews celebrate the festival of Purim and they remember this story. And I'm sure as they remember this story, they remember other times where people tried to annihilate the Jews. Now let me take a minute to reflect on this call of Esther, this call to action that Mordecai gives to her in this moment. First, I want you to notice that a person calls Esther to action and not God. We've been looking at all these stories where God shows up in burning bush, God speaks to Isaiah in his throne room, but what you get in Esther is not God speaking, but Mordecai speaking. In fact, read the, God, read the book of Esther again this week, and you know what you're gonna find? It is the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned at all. There is no mention of God in the entire book of Esther. There's nothing. No prayer, nothing. You have reference to prayers, but you have no prayers written. You have no reference to God in any way, shape, or form. But when you read this story, can you read it and not see God working behind the scenes? God is all over the place in the choice of Esther, in the wisdom of Mordecai in a bad night of sleep for the king that leads him to remember that he needs to honor Mordecai. Sometimes it's not until hindsight that we see what God has been up to and see that we were not alone, even though in the moment Israel definitely would have felt alone in this period. I sometimes wish God would lead us more directly, but I found out that often God doesn't. Often God leads us by little little things, and we barely even can tell that it's God until hindsight, and we think, huh, that's what you were doing. Often God leads us to the advice and counsel of others. That does not mean all counsel is good, right? There's the counsel of the evil Haman, which is definitely not good. And so you've got to listen to counsel carefully. You've got to listen for the subtle whisper of God underneath of the advice that you're given. Not all advice is good advice, but sometimes, and I think often, God speaks to us through the advice and words of other people. And we've got to listen to that and discern it. Number two, notice the strategic position that Esther has. Right? She's in the perfect place to do this. I think when God leads, He often leads through position. Position involves two things. Place. And timing place and timing. where has God put you for such a time as this? Where has God put you and where what is the need right now where God has put you? Part of God's call in your life comes down to noticing the things around you that you cannot be silent about and that somebody needs to do something about them right now place. And timing. But do you know what Esther doesn't have? Power. She actually does not have a lot of power. She has no power to make the change. She has no power to come before the king. She's in a perfect position, but she has no power. And often we wish God would give us power and authority. Right? If I was the boss, if I was in charge, I could make this happen. Okay? If I was a pastor, if I was the president, if I was, you name it, then I could finally... But, but, Sometimes God puts people in positions of power and that's the place that they're at, right? Mordecai's like that. He gets that position. But but more often than not, when God calls you to do something, he's not going to give you authority. (laughs) Okay? Where's your power going to come from? From him. Where does Esther's power come from? Prayer and fasting. She takes a couple days as a community with other people to pray and to fight plug in to the real source of power, the only source of power that she really has often power and authority that we have in our lives is false. What you really need to do is plug in to the source. After all, the person at the center of our faith was a carpenter. Right? He came, he wasn't a king, he wasn't a prince, he wasn't a senator, he wasn't the CEO of a multi-million dollar company. He was just a little carpenter in a little town, in a little nation. Often God's people do not lead with power, they lead with place, They're in the right place at the right time because God put them there and God gives them the power. Esther's power is beyond herself. It's the prayer and the fasting. And so she prays, she fasts, she waits. And then she takes the great risk to do something about what God has positioned her to do. And we need that kind of power. We need that kind of bravery that Esther exemplified. I don't know if you watched the news this week. I I can barely watch the news, I just don't watch it that much. But I keep track. We see growing tensions in Asia, conflict in Venezuela. We see rallies in Charlottesville that have already claimed several lives. You understand, there are still people out there like the evil Haman. There are still Haman's out there. Still people that would wish others ill. Still people that try to gather power so that they can abuse it. Still people that, that live their lives controlling others through fear. But I don't think the answer is violence. I think the answer is to be a people of love a people of prayer to stand up to the language of hatred and division that's around us. You could say, ah, oh, that's going on in Charlottesville. You know? But if you don't think there's hatred around here, you don't think there's racism around you, you don't think there's people around you that, that live in fear, live based on encouraging fear around them, you're wrong. It's here too. We've got to stand up to the We're in this place, and we're at this time, and we've got to have the boldness to stand up to the things that are around us. We have to stand as a people of hope and light in an increasingly dark world. We must be a people of prayer, understanding our position, the time and place that God has put us, and believing and bearing witness to the reality that God, even though we can't always see it, is working behind the scenes. God is working behind the scenes to bring new life, to bring new hope. And we are the ones to bear witness to that, to say, ah, you didn't see it on the news this week, but God's still doing some good things. Okay? You may not feel it in your life right now, in your diagnosis right now, in whatever you're going through, but we believe that God is doing something bigger so that we look back and we can see it, but we can't always see it right now. Let us pray. Eternal God, we are ever so aware that our ties to the biblical world as we have today in the book of Esther seem distant. And yet, Esther tells us exactly where we are. We regret that so little has changed in our public life since then. There is still intrigue in high places, still unholy alliances. There is still the dynamic of the fearful that are trying to do away with or at least get out of the way perceived enemies and threats to their power. There is still the problem of evil in the guise of good. There is still deceit used for gain of selfish ends. So it will be in our world until you come again. Yet aid us as we go about building our lives, our nation, and our world in this time. May we not be disillusioned because of the deceit of people's hearts. May we not lose faith in the people because of the faithlessness of a few. May we not fail to see this as your wonderful world to be dispirited. May we not lose a faithful and expectant spirit which is expectant of good, expectant for hope, expectant for triumph. May we not lose hope in the ultimate triumph of good over evil. As in Esther's day, may we not forget to make days of feasting and thanksgiving and gladness and give you thanks for your goodness to us. Be with us, O God, who turns sorrow into gladness, weakness into strength, defeat into triumph. Give us triumphant spirits. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.